Hello, and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to be back once again this beautiful week. Uh, I'm recording this on the 31st of July. It's a Saturday. It's the end of July. My goodness. How did we get here? It's a beautiful day today in upstate New York. I was just outside enjoying the fresh air. It was very nice, very pleasant, very invigorating. I really, really enjoyed it. But now I'm here in my basement recording this for you because that's how much I care about my listeners. Even though there's only a handful of you out there, I do care and I do appreciate that you listen to Strange Sound. As strange as it can be sometimes. But I I do appreciate your listening. In any case, my standard disclaimer, the views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. Uh, They represent neither the views of my friends and neighbors, nor of my family members, nor of my co-workers, nor of my employer. They are only representative of my own views. Those views expressed here, uh, sometimes I reference other people's ideas, other people's opinions, um, other people's, um, you know, uh, sometimes I quote people, more or less, other people's words, but I will try to attribute whenever I do that thing. And uh, that's about the size of it. I, you know, you pretty much come here to hear me bloviate, and that's what you get. You get me and only me, because that is what strange sound is all about. It's just me, uh, you know, blowing off a little steam, I guess, and trying to shed a little light as opposed to uh, generate more heat. And yeah, I get mad, but not that mad. And uh, so, anyway, as is my custom, I think I'm going to read for you my, uh, I don't think I'm actually going to do this, I'm going to read for you my uh, column for this week, uh, my furious rant, which you can find at big-green.net. Just follow the blog link, follow it through and uh, look under the category, it's a WordPress blog, it's a WordPress blog. And you can uh, click on the category political rants. And this will be the first listed there under. And it is entitled, The Case for Vaccinating Everybody. Gee, I wonder what this is about. Um, so if you want to read this, read along with me. You can just <laughs> read along with Joe. That's what Strange Sound is uh, this week. It's a little read-along show. Um, I'm going to read this uh, without my reading glasses because, personal note, I had a minor eye operation this week. Um, Had a cataract removed from my left eye. And uh, I am able to read at a arm's length (laughs) with that eye now, whereas about this time last week, I couldn't to save my life. So um, anyone who's considering having this operation, having a cataract removed, I can only say that um, even in this early stage, and things haven't settled down yet, so I don't want to, I don't want to curse myself with false praise, but <laughs> I would definitely consider it. It's an easy procedure. It's fast. Um, I don't know how expensive it is yet. We're gonna find out. But <laughs> um, if you can afford it, and uh, if it's something that you're ready for. Uh, I would do it because it's it's a pretty simple procedure, and uh, it's it 
appears to be making a difference. We shall see. But in any case, uh, all the easier to read my blog post this month, or this week, rather. And it goes something like this. Again, the title, The Case for Vaccinate... The case for vaccinating everybody. Here we go again. Cases are rising, as are hospitalizations and deaths. This COVID-19 catastrophe, the Trump plague as I like to call it, is not going away anytime soon. Why the hell is this happening? I think we all know the answer to that. From the beginning, Trump and his allies played down the seriousness of this illness. The Republican Party and the right more generally have made a political football out of vaccination and wearing PPE. As a result, only a little more than half of Americans are fully vaccinated. Now cast your mind back to 14 months ago. Everything shut down. People were panicked buying toilet paper, etc. You remember the drill. If someone told you that there would be not one, not two, but three highly effective vaccines available within a year, would you have believed it? Perhaps. But what if they told you that many millions of Americans would refuse to take it? I myself would have thought that was nuts. Well, here we are. We literally have the means to end this pandemic, and we're choosing not to do it. And mind you, this criticism goes beyond the reluctance of my fellow Americans to take the jab. There's a whole world out there begging for these shots. It is well within our means to manufacture and distribute enough shots to save millions of lives in Asia, Africa, South America, etc. It is also well within the scope of what can reasonably be defined as our national interest to do so. But we're not. What the fuck? Our COVID vaccine standoff reminds me of the politics around climate change. The right keeps working to force the issue into a cultural context. In their view, your position on the salient question becomes a marker for the type of American you are. So if you encourage people to get the COVID shot, literally to save the nation from this plague, you're a woke liberal forcing your views on others and squelching their freedom of speech, expression, choice. The same dynamic is at work with climate change. It doesn't matter how much evidence there may be of already occurring global warming. Right-wingers despise the idea of doing anything about it because that's what the other side wants. Even if the policy would help people on the right, it's more important to them to own the libs than to flourish or even survive. Now, I tend to be an optimist. My feeling generally is that losing hope is basically surrendering to hopelessness. The only thing that we have in our favor is that there are more of us than there are of them. Our only chance is to act boldly, take the initiative, and move forward, even if we have to drag them along with us, kicking and screaming. With respect to COVID, that means requiring vaccines or a legitimate exemption to gain access to a wide range of services, short of essentials like nutrition, housing, etc., It also means making the necessary investments to quickly implement a robust global vaccination program so that we can not only save millions of lives, but head off these variants. If people are truly tired of masks and social distancing, that's what we have to do. 
get at least 85% fully vaccinated. You can have the thing you want, but you need to do this first. Pretty simple, right? Do it! And this is a little, this is just a brief call back to last week's column as an addendum. After posting that piece and its Strange Sound podcast companion episode, which you may well have heard, I commented on some vaguely related tweet by Code Pink and incurred the dubious wrath of what I call the Mas Canosa chorus. A crowd of right-wingers from the Cuban exile community basically called me a hater of freedom, etc., because I dared criticize some of their numbers for yelling, fuck you, at Code Pink. I typically don't engage in pissing wars on Twitter, but I looked into this a bit and it seems that the Cuban exile community has invested in some Twitter bots. Were my digital accusers non-human? Hard to say, though their grade school level virtue signaling could well have been the product of automation. I'm going to quote from one of the tweets. If you side with the brutal Cuban dictatorship over the people of Cuba, yearning only for the right to speak freely, then you cannot claim to stand against the powerful, I was told by someone who supports strangling the Cuban people to death with sanctions. Sure sounds like a bot to me. Love you, Joe. That's my column for this week on big-green.net. Once again, if you go to the blog link and look under political rants, you will find this first in line. Uh, now, I, I just want to once again dispense with the uh, the Cuba issue that I talked about last week. I haven't gotten any comments on the show. I don't think it practically anybody listens to this. <laughs> but for those of you out there who are listening to it, uh, I just want to give you a, a little bit of context. Last week, I was talking about the endless sanctions that were placing on Cuba, how the Biden administration left the sanctions in place uh, that the Trump administration had set and um, that they're adding more sanctions because of the Cuban government's response to recent protests that really took place over a limited number of days that were related directly to the privations (laughs) placed upon them by the sanctions food shortages, medicine shortages, um, resource shortages that are directly related to the embargo. And I, you know, I, I posted that. No one has commented on it. Um, just prior to my posting of that episode, though, I had commented in a tweet, as I mentioned in my column, and I got dogpiled on by a bunch of uh, Cuban exile community activists uh, who... Mostly, there were some responses, like uh, some challenges, some people called me out, um, some people accused me of being a, quote, useful idiot, unquote, and um, others, you know, were were calling out Code Pink and saying that they're, they're gaslighting all the time and you should see their Twitter feed and all that stuff. Of course, I follow them on Twitter, so I know... <laughs> what their Twitter feed is. I don't know what they're talking about with regard to gaslighting. Um, and again, as I said in my column, I don't really engage in Twitter war that much. It seems like a huge waste of time. It's more or less a game of one-upsmanship as to who can get the the pithiest little quip in last, you know, who has the last word. And I'm really not interested in that. Not interested in pointless pissing matches with 
people whose minds I'm never going to change. Um, so I, ju I just try to push things positively out there. I, if I comment on things, I don't really follow it to the bitter end. Uh, I've gotten into pissing wars with people before, and it's just pointless. But um, I, you know, it, this is similar in some ways to the uh, Israeli-Palestine conflict. When you comment on things on Twitter or on Facebook, you tend to get um, a coordinated response between activists and what I suspect are um, bots that either like responses to your to your tweets um, or share them um, and just kind of generate an endless cycle of likes and shares. So I, I got I don't typically get a lot of response from my tweets just as I don't typically get a lot of listeners to this podcast <laughs> or, or a lot of readers of my blog. But I, I tended to get, I, I think I got more, um, more pings, <laughs> more responses to that tweet that I, that I um, commented on, on Code Pink's site um, when they posted that video of those um, Cuban exile folks uh, saying fuck you to them. Um, and really, my comment was was only had to do with the content of their comments, of their um, attack on on the code pink, pink ad activists who were protesting um, in favor of lifting the sanctions against Cuba, which they rightly consider to be damaging and and uh, um, kind of a war crime, frankly, um, and. You know, the thing I was criticizing was the fact that they were just coming up and saying, fuck you, fuck Code Pink, fuck you. You know, and some of them were carrying their children with them. I mean, like literally babes in arms saying, fuck you, you know, <laughs> not not the babes, but <laughs> the mothers saying, fuck you with their baby. You know, so they're training them young. Um, <laughs> and my comment was simply, well, you know, fuck you. Well, that's productive. Uh, what else they got? I, it was basically the tweet. I don't know if it's verbatim, but it's something like that. And and that got dogpiled on. That was like, well, you know, this isn't like a high school debating society, said this one guy named John. I don't know, some Cuban guy named John. And uh, and I, I responded and then just, well, you know, thanks for your comment. Appreciate it. Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't do, I don't. I don't agree. You know, I, I made clear that I didn't agree. And Chris, you know, that made me a useful idiot. Um, of course, he's not a useful idiot because he's, uh, he's only helping uh, an imperial power strangled to death. Uh, the, the Cuban state and the Cuban regime, because not because they're dictatorial or they're mean to their citizens, because we tolerate that in all kinds of, Countries that we support, um, Egypt gets billions of dollars a year. Uh, Colombia has gotten billions of dollars. They are no more democratic than Cuba, frankly. I mean, yes, they have demonstration elections, but it really doesn't amount to very much. And they are dictatorial police states <laughs> that murder and torture their own citizens at a rate much higher than anything you'd ever see in Cuba, frankly. Um, and yeah. There's, I'm not, and if this guy had, if these people on Twitter had bothered to engage with me in some kind of intelligent way, I 
would have had a conversation with them, and I'm, they would have discovered that I don't think it's inappropriate for people to protest, ask the Cuban government to, you know, respect people's right to protest. I'm not against that. Not at all. No government is above criticism. I'm not saying the Cuban government is above criticism. Not a bit of it. I'm just saying that the the strategy that we're using to make Cuba kneel before us and become Honduras, which is what our objective is, essentially. We want Cuba to be Honduras. Um, I don't blame them for resisting that. And I don't think it's a good policy. I think it's a bad policy. Not only has it been a failure, but it's caused misery for an entire generation of Cubans, actually three generations of Cubans, frankly. And it's not right, and it should stop. This is my government just as much as it is theirs. And I, frankly, <laughs> I think they should stop it. And if I can get a majority of my, my countrymen to agree with me, uh, then it will stop. But we need to make it an issue. We need to tell our government that we want the sanctions to stop. And we want that policy to change. And until we do, they're going to keep doing it. So I'm not really even sure why these people were hopping up and down and jumping all over my shit on Twitter because they're getting their way. They get their way all the time. They've been getting their way for 60 years and it's basically just been a standoff. I don't think they want to see it resolved because that that increases their power, their political power. You know, uh, Florida is a key state. It's a key electoral state. And they know that national politicians are always going to kowtow to Florida because they want to win Florida. There's a chance it might go Democratic or there's a chance it might go Republican. It's been trending more Republican lately. Got a call coming in from uh, Florida, I think. <laughs> call from audiology. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. I'll let that go by. All right. So, uh, enough about that. I, I talked about that last week. So, forgive me. Uh, I just I just wanted to sort of tie that up. Um, the addendum to my to my post for this week. Now, uh, my main topic this week: uh, the COVID uh, thing. The thing about vaccinations. I mean. Quite honestly, I, I this is a head scratcher for me, and it has been for a long time. I think I've brought it up on the on the podcast many times, um, and I just don't understand what the problem is. Why this has to be a political issue, I just don't know. And I think even uh, elements of the Republican Party, the sort of institutional Republican Party, is has been trying to back off from their anti-vax position. I mean. Somebody like Mitch McConnell will say, I've never been against vaccines. And that's true. That's technically true. But he also hasn't tried to discipline his caucus at all. So when Ron Johnson goes around, you know, spreading false rumors about COVID and about the vaccine, um, and people have asked him, you know, what are you doing? Like, the press has asked him, what are you doing about Ron Johnson? He would always say, well, you know, it's a, I, uh, you know, it's, it's up to Ron Johnson. I, I don't control what he says. And I'm, you know, 
<laughs> but, you know, it's like, look, you are a caucus leader, right? I mean, he is in your caucus. Uh, so you should have an opinion on that, right? You should at least gainsay the guy, you know, maybe discipline him if you think there is a public impact. The thing that they're worried about, and I think Majority Report is, is right about this, the thing that they're likely worried about is that their electoral chances seem seem to be dwindling a little bit. Um, as the COVID uh, third, fourth wave, whatever this is, starts to crest, the Delta variant, I almost said the Gamma variant, oh my God. I hope there isn't a Gamma variant, but the Delta variant um, wave is currently cresting. And if they're seen to be too Trumpy about this and too dismissive about it. And, um, and it makes suburban women uncomfortable. Um, they're going to lose <laughs> and they don't want to lose. So this has nothing to do with public health. It has nothing to do with the well-being of the nation. This has to do with their electoral chances next year. I think uh, majority report is right about this. I think that's their motivating factor. I don't think they care about anything else. I mean, some have suggested this is because their constituency is really most at risk because they tend to be less vaccinated and they tend to be a little on the older side and they tend to be on the whiter side, you know, so it's, they're worried about their people dropping dead. There may be some of that, but I think it's really more that they're worried about losing people that are a little bit more towards the center who tend to either vote Republican or Democrat based on which way the wind is blowing in any given off-year election, and that they are probably looking at internal polling and seeing, you know, people reacting negatively to the general brand of the Republican Party now because of the loudest voices in their party undermining efforts to vaccinate everyone, discouraging people from getting vaccinated, and trying to say that the COVID, COVID crisis is some kind of hoax. That leftists are perpetuating on them to tell them what to do. I mean, these people are like <laughs> the loudest voices in the Republican and the conservative movement more generally are, <laughs> they're crying, you know, uh, tyranny They for wearing a mask. They think wearing a mask, being asked to wear a mask in a public gathering indoors is tantamount to Nazi Germany. You know, you ask them to wear a mask in Congress and they're like, liberty, liberty. They're asking me to wear a mask. Liberty. I mean, honestly, it's got nothing to do with that. It's just common sense. I'm not going to go into the details uh, of what, you know, I've heard epidemiologists say. You can listen to them yourself. It's okay. And there are some variants of opinion, but Generally speaking, the Delta variant spreads like wildfire, even amongst people who've been vaccinated. Now, the vaccinated may not get as sick, and they may not get sick at all, but they can still spread it. And it's a point of concern. And a lot of people in Congress are not vaccinated. On the right, some of those people haven't gotten the vaccine, or are at least hiding the fact that they got the vaccine. I suspect more than we know have been vaccinated and that they're just uh, they're just posturing to make their voters happy. 
Because their voters back home think it's, I don't know, they think the vaccine makes you magnetic or it causes autism or that there's a microchip embedded in the vaccine that they can track you with or there's some other bizarre conspiracy theory or it turns you into a lizard person. Uh, You know, what do you do with that? I don't know. So my point that I was kind of trying to get at in that column was simply, look, let's have both positive and negative incentives. I'm not saying you make people starve or make them homeless to get them to get a shot, but that you put the equivalent of a paywall between everything and just say, okay, look, it's easy to get a shot. It's safe. If you've got a legitimate health concern, you don't need to get one, but you're going to have to wear a mask if you're going to do this or that or the other thing. If you're going to go to the movies, if you're going to go to a ball game, if you're going to sit in a restaurant, they may want you to sit in a special area and mask. They may want you to get tested, proof of testing. And people may need to get tested. I used to get tested every week, even after I had my vaccine, just as part of uh, the requirements for my workplace. And that was fine. I don't mind doing it. That's fine. It, it actually, I kind of wish they'd still do it so that I can know whether I have, that I've, whether or not I've picked up the virus somewhere. Because I don't know. And my wife has some health issues that make her more vulnerable to this virus. So I want to keep her safe. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think what we need to do as a society, like we do with a lot of other illnesses and situations that make it, make you a potential threat to other people, right? Uh, that we need to sort of bar entry to certain things short of either having a vaccine or having ample protection in place to protect other people. Because if you're sitting in your home all by yourself, it's nobody else's business. Fine. Though you may be infecting your children, which is kind of not good. But, (laughs) uh, you know, If you're going to get on a bus or you're going to get on a plane or you're going to go to a restaurant or you're going to go to a movie or something like that, then you're involving other people because they're going to have to breathe everything you exhale. And this Delta variant spreads like wildfire. It's extremely contagious. It's more contagious than the common cold. And it can kill you. And it's going to kill somebody in your circle of acquaintance, if you if you catch it, if you pick it up, even if you're vaccinated, if because the the ratio of spread is something like eight people per individual, per infected individual, as opposed to one or two with the original version of COVID, classic COVID as we call it. Nobody calls it that, but <laughs> but that's basically the case, the, the one that killed almost 600,000 people. This has potential for, you know, really turn, turning this country upside down once again. We have it in our hands to stop this. And I go further than the administration on this, far, far further than the administration. I don't think they're doing enough to vaccinate the world. They can vaccinate the world. 
we spend $750 billion a year on the military. Nothing would make us safer than to take $100 billion of that and pour it into not only manufacturing the vaccine, the most effective vaccines, uh, but also distributing them around the world, making it easier for people to get those vaccines. Take that money instead of buying another goddamn useless fucking battleship Take that money and put it into distributing vaccine for free all around the world. Wouldn't take that much. I don't even think it would take $100 billion. Just divert some of that money. That's national security. And we'll still have plenty of missiles. No worries. <laughs> Will they do that, though? I doubt it. But I'm going to encourage them to do it, and I encourage you to do the same. Now, the one other point I wanted to raise was uh, just expand a little bit on the point I made about the COVID denialism being a bit like being reminiscent of climate change denialism. This is the hard problem, right? I mean, climate change is the hard problem. Those of us who think climate change is something we should address urgently because the science and our own senses tell us that it's urgent, uh, are tasked with convincing people to do something that's disruptive on a broad social level, on a broad economic level, um, without expecting too much return within their lifetime. Because we've already passed the point of being able to avoid some of the, some of the worst consequences of climate change we're already past that point it's too late to stop it from happening we had the op- we had the uh, opportunity you know decades ago when we first learned about climate change and we did nothing and we did nothing and for decades we did nothing and then we started to do little things but then we did nothing and now we're faced with this draconian choice of you know, we have to basically turn our societies inside out in terms of, you know, how we manufacture things, how we power our our lives, you know, how we keep ourselves warm or cool, how we move ourselves around, all of the mechanical engineering of of our society, our very complex society has to be turned inside out. That creates opportunities for people. It also disrupts people's livelihoods, and it's a serious matter. But we have to do it if we're going to survive as species, if we're going to have any kind of a reasonable life for our children and grandchildren. Now, I don't have any children or grandchildren, but other people do, <laughs> and they should be concerned about that. Um, they could should be concerned about their progeny. Um so that's the hard problem, right? Because Americans and I think uh, other people as well, um, particularly people in richer countries, richer people in richer countries, um, don't like to do anything that doesn't directly impact them. You know, they you know, if you don't get an instant benefit from it, Americans sort of mainstream um dominant culture Americans, a.k.a. white people, don't want to do anything unless it directly benefits them. And that's, uh, 
something we have to work against in a, in a sense. I think there are ways that we can that we can sort of rebuild our economy in a way that avoids the worst consequences of climate change but also maintains a level of prosperity that that people can live with. Um and may in fact, you know, make people's lives better. <laughs> uh you know, there's there seems to me like there's a lot of opportunity for that. But are we going to do that? You know, is is the current administration going to do what it takes to make that happen? I don't know. I'm a skeptic. I'm also, uh, I also tend to be optimistic. I try to try to stay optimistic, as I said in my column, because hopelessness is its own reward, right? I mean, when you lose hope, there is no hope. It's up to us to keep hope alive, as uh, as Jesse Jackson used to say. <laughs> and it's, you know, he had a point, right? So I, I try to maintain the hope that we can, well, work a lot harder towards making making this happen um, and are willing to expend the resources necessary to turn this ship around. But um, I'm skeptical of our ability to, to do that as a society. I don't, I don't see any indication that we are ready for that and we're running out of time. So, I mean, our, it's a similar dynamic with climate change as with COVID, we have the answer in our hand. We have it. We've got the answer. And yet we're not doing it because, I don't know, it just requires us to stretch a little bit. That's all. And we don't want to. I mean, the perfect illustration of this was Trump, right? When he was faced with this crisis at first, he wanted it to go away because it was inconvenient. It was getting in the way it was getting between him and what he wanted. He wanted to be reelected. He felt like he was sailing towards reelection, and this came up, and he didn't want it. And he tried to pretend it didn't exist, but he couldn't, because you can't wish a pandemic away. It starts killing people, whether you like it or not. Just like you can't negotiate with climate change. When you come up with, you know, well, you know, this is a package compromise between what you know, the Green New Deal people wanted and, and what the Republicans wanted, and we made, we got halfway. Is that okay, nature? And nature is like, no, fuck you. Not enough. If you don't do enough, you can't expect a good result. That's what it amounts to, right? So I equate those two problems with one another because it, it is, they are similarly frustrating. And again, I don't want to lose hope. Hope needs to be fueled by effort and determination, you know, and we can't just sit on our hands and hope, right? We need to press our representatives forward. We need to work at a, at a local and a regional level to uh, make the change that we want to see in the world. Yeah, that sounds a little hackneyed, I know, but it's just freaking true. Anyway, I've gone on a bit. That's all I've got for this week. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message if you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound. 
you'll find the means of doing so. You can also find us on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod. Um, just send me a tweet, or you can tweet at me, or send me a DM, uh, dogpile on me like the Cuban exile community, <laughs> the Mascanosa uh, chorus, as they call them. Uh, by all means, get in touch with me. You can also get in touch with me if you go to big-green.net and follow the contact link. You'll find other ways to get in touch with me there. Uh, always glad to hear from you. Um, if anyone leaves any messages or sends me any screeds or, you know, pushes back in some way or, you know, agrees with me, disagrees with me, whatever, I'm glad to feature it on the show. I haven't been featuring any of that on the show because no one has really responded. And that's fine. It's up to you. But I'd be glad to hear from anyone. Glad to turn this into a conversation. Have at it, my friends. Have at it. Till next time, though. Take good care. If you haven't gotten your shots, get your damn shot. And be careful out there. Uh, Look forward to talking to you next time. Bye now.